Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. He, said, he has said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The earth he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our lives. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the living Son will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of this is the word of the Lord. Okay, so I've got to start with just a random trivia question. Does anyone know what the tallest statue in the world is? Does anybody know? I'll, I'll give you a hint. It, is, it has not been around for very long. Uh, I think it was actually finished in 2018. Uh, you probably don't know what it is. You've probably never even seen a picture of it. Uh, it is called the Statue of Unity. The Statue of Unity. Uh, it's a statue of a politician. Uh, I can't pronounce most of his name. His last name is Patel. Um, it is in India, if you could guess by that. Um, but he was uh, helped kind of bring democracy to, to India. Um, it's over 800 feet tall in total, which is like two or three times bigger the size of the Statue of Liberty. I think we've got a picture of it. I want you to see... This is a real-life picture of what it looks like. Uh, it is enormous. Huge. And that's a, a, a major river in, in India. I forget the name. But it's huge. Huge. Um, and uh, took them, you know, decades to build and all that kind of stuff. But uh, anyway, just kind of random. I just wondered, if, did anybody know? Raise your hand if you knew that this was the tallest statue in the world. Nope. Okay. Um, there's a couple of really big ones in Asia that none of us know about, by the way. Um, okay, so I need to ask you about one more statue now that we're in, in statue trivia. Does anybody know this one, what it is or where it is? Does anybody have an idea? It's called Swords into Plowshares, if you're curious. Um, and that is actually, it's located uh, at the headquarters of the, of the United Nations, the UN. Uh, and it's in, that's in New York City. New York City. So that is, um, it was dedicated just after, you know, the UN was formed and, and got going and all that stuff. And, and you probably know that the UN was created with the idea that kind of through human planning and committees and policy that peace could be ensured in our time. So according to the Council of Foreign Relations, there are currently 27 wars or conflicts going on in the world as we speak. Um, some of them are small, things we, you and I would have not heard of, but 
27 wars kind of currently happening. Um, and, and that's a pretty consistent number. You know, any year, you know, give or take, there's about that many wars or conflicts happening. And, and so I, I think it's fair to say that swords have not been turned into plowshares uh, any time, re- you know. And, and, you know, if you, if you look at the numbers of the 20th century, estimates are that 187 million people were killed in wars and conflicts during the 20th century, 187 million. It seems so far that the 21st century is doing better than that. Uh, hopefully that continues. But, um, but you and I all know, if you look at the study of our world, you know, the, the history of humanity is a study in anything but peace. It's the opposite of peace. It's, it's a study in pain and conflict and war and hatred and genocide and greed and hopelessness. Did you know that between the 15th century and the 19th century, 15th and 19th centuries, approximately 13 million people uh, were enslaved? About 13 million people from the from 15th to 19th century. But here's what's crazy, and you probably didn't know. Today, there are estimated over 40 million people living in slavery. 40 million today. That's more than all of the slave trade as we think of it for 400 years. There's more today than all of them combined. Estimates are that about uh, 400,000 people in the United States are actually in slavery as we speak. 400,000. The the last surveys that that have come out about America's youth are that 48% of them, 48% of America's youth, feel persistent hopelessness. Persistent hopelessness. That's a hard statistic to hear. (laughs) Half of our youth don't have any hope, don't feel hope in any way. So this this morning we're starting a new series. Um, We we finished last week our, our series on Philippians, and it's just in time for the beginning of Advent. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna look at um, the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah is is such an amazing book, and it, it's so big and and it's so kind of complex. We're not gonna be able to to study all of it. We're just gonna look at different pieces of it, and we're gonna focus in on what uh, Isaiah was allowed to see um, in regards to the coming of the Messiah. So we're gonna focus on some of the the passages about the coming Messiah uh, that we see in Isaiah. And what Isaiah was able to see is truly good news. And so we're calling it that, the good news of Isaiah. And and by good news, of course, I mean the gospel. He's seeing what we know of as the gospel, this coming of the Christ. And and so that makes it good news not just for Isaiah. um, And and, and he's obviously not going to live to see the coming Messiah. So it wasn't good news for him, but for the future Israel and, and also for the rest of the world. This morning we're going to read an incredible passage that inspired the statue we just saw, turning swords into plowshares. Um, and this, this is going to speak of the beginning of a new chapter of hope for the world. So let's pray together as, as we go to God's Word in Isaiah. Father, would you show us your truth? Would you teach us Use your word for our benefit, for your glory. May it, um, 
show us the hope that we can have through the Messiah. We pray this in his name. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and they and shall, de- sorry, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And so as we begin this new series, I want to tell you a little bit about the book of Isaiah. It's a long book containing 66 chapters. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet uh, of the 8th century B.C., 8th century B.C., and, and the book, we think, was written between the years like 740 B.C. Uh, up to 701, so about a 40-year time span during these 66 chapters. So there's a lot that's happening. Isaiah was the son of Amos, uh, who tradition says was a part of the royal family somehow. Um, and, and so Isaiah was, was kind of born into a family that would have kind of known the ins and outs of things, and, and uh, it probably was an influential family, and uh, he probably lived in Jerusalem, and he probably had access to powerful people uh, who knew the king. He may, uh, we think he probably had access to the kings himself as he, as he uh, became a prophet. And, and so he was a, a prophet that, that speaks to both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. If, you've, if you were a part of our minor prophet series this summer, you kind of remember some of that. Um, but because he's in that, eight, that time period, we know that Isaiah was around during such a pivotal point, not just in biblical history, but in world history. Um, and, and it's... It's, it's in a, a difficult time for, for all of the Jews. And, and if you remember, we talked about Israel was defeated in 722 B.C. Uh, by the Assyrians. And so he, was, he lived through that. He saw that happen. He saw his cousins taken away forever. Uh, and and, and um, the, the ten northern tribes were, or, were just gone. So he lived through, through that. Um, he got to see several world powers kind of come and go, um, and, and, and always they were threatening the Jews and, and threatening to conquer them and take over. And we would just say it was a time of hopelessness for God's people. Not that they were innocent. We know that they were uh, committing all kinds of sins, and God was going to use this time as a judgment and as a discipline. Um, but in all of that, in all of that hopelessness, we get to see this amazing passage. And it is amazing because most of, or in, in, in big major parts through the books of, book of Isaiah, 
we are going to see God kind of sending this message of, of bad news, things that are going to happen to them, things that are, that are going to be used as discipline against them. But as this book gets starting, uh, gets started, we're going we're gonna to get to see kind of this big idea that overall God is not done with his people and there's, there's a, a, a story of hope still to come. And so we get to see what Isaiah was, was allowed to see and, and what most would say is the clearest picture of Jesus, of the coming Messiah in all of the Old Testament. Isaiah is the guy that gets to see more of it than anyone else. And so our focus of, of our passage this morning is, is, is a mountain, Mount Zion in, in Jerusalem. It is where God, the Spirit of the Lord, would dwell in his temple. And, it, and we know that this was the, you know, the holiest place. And, and this, is, this is where the focus is going to be. Uh, and so Isaiah gets a vision of what is to come. And, and that vision is a, a time in the future when people from all over the world will be drawn to Zion for peace and for knowledge. And, and it's, and it's going to become a place where, where people will go for, um, for peace uh, and, 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 and justice and wisdom. Uh, that People are going to want to go there. And you just need to know that, that there's a lot of debate about when, <laughs> when Isaiah 2 is going to happen. Has it already happened? Is it in, happening now? Will it happen someday in the future? And, and, and you can just read nonstop ab- about the different debates on, on when this is going to be. So is this a prophet, uh, uh, sorry, a prophecy about, um, about when Jesus first comes? Or is this a, a, a prophecy about kind of the true end times, like revelation stuff? And so I'm, I'm going to just kind of give you my opinion uh, in three different points. The first point I want to make, kind of the first idea that I think we see here, is what I'm just going to call hope already. Hope already. And, and you hear about this kind of hope uh, when our typical Christmas characters are talking. Um, remember what we heard just a few minutes ago from John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah. He, he says in Luke 1, um, he says, You, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadows of death, to to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's been such a, a period of darkness for God's people, and Zechariah recognizes Something big is about to happen. Something big is coming. That's the kind of hope that we're talking about when we talk about hope already. The the first coming of the Messiah was a time of hope for God's people. They recognized that the Christ brought good news. And so we're going to see more about that as we kind of go through our different weeks of Advent with peace and joy and light and salvation and and, and all of these different kind of big themes of Advent. But here in Isaiah 2, I think, I think we get the big picture about what the Messiah is going to come and bring. That the whole world is about to change and change for the good. And we would say that it has. It has because of the Messiah. 
The great author and theologian J.I. Packer says this, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. Advent is only a time of good news because of what we know that the child was coming to do for us. And that hope was here because of it. And that hope already is available to anyone who wants it. It's what we're going to celebrate in in just a little bit as we come to the table this morning. That hope was born at Christmas. A Savior who who has come to take away the sins of the world. And, And so this morning, know that there is hope. And it can be yours. Hope in Jesus is a firm hope. An anchor for the soul, as Hebrews says. Despite the circumstances of our life, ultimate hope can already be found in Jesus because of what he has already done. The the next point that I want to make or idea that I want to bring to you is is what we would call hope to come. Or if if you prefer hope not yet. A, A lot of people say that we are living in a period of history called the already but not yet. Maybe you've heard that before already but not yet. Christ has already come and he's already made this everlasting atonement for sin. Christ has already paid the debt. But he has not yet come a second time. But he has promised that when he does return, he will make all things right. Things are still not the way that they should be. Even though he's already come, things are still not right. You and I live in a a tough place, a hard world, and we have been promised that we will suffer. There will be war and injustice, hatred, bigotry, every evil thing that you can think of for now, for now. But God has promised that when Christ returns, our Isaiah 2 passage is going to truly be made complete. I'm reminded that at the completion of all things... We are given a vision of what it will look like. And so I, you, know, you can think about places like Revelation 21 and, and 22. And, and, and so in verses 22 through 27 of Revelation 21 say this. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no need, or sorry, no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or is false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you were paying attention, it sounds a little bit like our Isaiah 2 passage this mountain where people will come and there will be all the things that we are hoping for, that will be completed in Revelation. So we do live in the not yet of history. Because we do, we, we must hold on to faith and hope, knowing that there is still much more to come. This is not our home. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. 
We are pilgrims in this place, waiting for the not yet to be fulfilled, knowing that it will be greater than we could ever imagine. And that is only because of Christ coming again to make all things right, coming for you and I to take us home. So we know what Christ did. We know what he is coming to do. And and maybe now we live in that, so now what kind of place? And that's what we see, I think, in verse 5 of our passage, where he says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You see, this passage describes what it looks like for us to be a part of God's people. People coming to know Christ and coming to be like Him. See, I think a lot of people want the the benefits of peace and they want the benefits of hope. A lot of people even like the, the worship experience of coming to God's mountain to experience the majesty and something special and awesome. People love that. But the people of God aren't just coming for another worship experience. They want truth. And specifically, they want to understand God's ways and God's will, and they want to learn how to walk in them. That's what Isaiah 2 is about, is learning how to walk in the ways of God. They want to live according to God's truth. There, there are many who want to be you know, more spiritually in tune with the divine somehow. But there are fewer who want to learn how to live in obedience and want to learn how to walk in so as he says, walk in the light, it means to walk in the Lord's ways, to know the word and to walk in them, uh, in, in his words. We want to be seen as people who walk in the light, not walking in darkness, but in the light. And so our call here and our call in the New Testament and elsewhere is to follow God's ways and to ref- reflect the light of Christ so that others can know, so that others can follow as well. We as Christians are called to show the world how to find Jesus. When we live in the light of Christ, we are able to show others the light which only God can give. We must shine the light of Jesus boldly. That is our call. And and, and so this this is our part in this good news story that he has given to us. We get to go as light at reflecting God's light and showing other people this hope and learning about the good news of Jesus. And the the world needs to see us living like it. The world needs to see us living in that kind of hope, in that kind of light. This Advent season, don't get discouraged, don't get distracted. There is only one reason and one source of hope. The coming of the promised Messiah who gives light to those living in the shadow of death, as Zechariah said. Let's pray. Father, we need the light of Christ. Everything else is darkness. There are so many other things that promise hope in our world. They promise us ways to make things better. And they all come up empty. Only through Christ do we know real hope. Let us know it and share it and live it out this Advent season.